0: Hello and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Our next guest has been in the leather community for over 30 years. He holds the title of International Mr. German 1989 and has been in the business of educating many people over the years on how to engage in BDSM play. He's been featured as a model for countless adult videos depicting BDSM scenes and was even a centerfold for Playgirl magazine in 1978. Just a friendly reminder to anyone just tuning in this podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more leather talk. Well hello everyone, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Brian. Hi Brian.
1: Good morning, good <laughs> to hear from you.
0: Yeah, you too. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, Brian, for those of us who may not be familiar with you, would you mind giving us just a little snapshot of who you are?
1: Um, Sure. Um, Brian Dawson, I was second runner-up IML in 1988. Uh, I won International Mr. Drummer in 1989, and since that time I've Done a lot of speaking and uh, weekend retreats uh, all over the United States and even to a couple different foreign countries so uh, it's been a a pretty glorious time that was like 89 yeah so you know as as late as last year I went back to the East Coast and gave a a weekend retreat to uh, gay men so um, I generally identify as a gay man Um, I was married for 17 years to a woman and so that has been sort of a slow progression. Uh, for a while I sort of felt like I was bisexual and then today uh, my primary orientation is toward men. I began the leather journey when I came out. So um, it was a fast track. Um, if I, I came out in 88 and won my first title that year was at IML in 88 and the next year uh, ran for drummer, so uh, I was very green, and I'm very fortunate to have had great mentors along the way. So I've I, it's been a slow journey, but today I consider myself to be pretty experienced in most um, areas of kink, and uh, I've developed a number of talks that are often specific to people's feelings and you know how they get in touch with being a sub or a dom and that kind of stuff. So it's been a very slow journey since uh, 1988.
0: Wow. So you have a lot of experience. And I actually didn't know that you um, were married in the past. So that's that's really interesting and really leads us into our first topic for today. I, I like to always start off sort of with an origin story. So I'm curious to know then, I mean, having been married to a woman for 17 years, when did you first discover that you might be not necessarily straight?
1: <laughs> Um, it, it, was, um, it was a, a real uh, conundrum. So before we got married, I mean, I was <clears throat> going to college and began dating my then wife. And I still, you know, had a sense that I was attracted to men. So I actually, uh, I'm Methodist, so I actually went to uh, a minister of the Methodist church in a neighboring town because I figured that was the safest thing to do um, and had counseling with him and his advice to me was it's not that unusual for men to have you know feelings for other men Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty normal and i wouldn't worry about it and go and get married you'll be fine so Mm -hmm. that was probably you know bad advice but had i not gotten that advice i wouldn't have you know two kids and six grandkids and all of that so uh it's just it's it's just a part of my life
0: now, a, a couple questions about that. Um, are, you, are you still a practicing Methodist or Christian or other yeah. religion? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And what, what is your journey like that with your spirituality been with coming out? Was there any kind of friction there?
1: No, it's interesting. Um, I, I firmly believe that um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a good person. So I never had to go to a therapist when I was coming out. Um, you know, I help little ladies across the street and I rescue puppies and find homes for them and I fuck guys. So Mm -hmm. I I don't think that that God is there uh, going, well, this is bad and this is good. I just, you know, I think that I'm, I'm a good person. I have a good soul. Um, I'm spiritual. Um, you know, a good commercial will make me cry. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I feel that, that I can be a gay man and be a Christian and that there's no um, push or pull one way or the other. I know other people struggle about that, but uh, I, I never have. I, I hit the ground running, and um, I never had to go, you know, oh, boy, it's just wrong, will I go to hell? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm a good guy, so I'll be fine.
0: I really love that you highlighted the fact that like you're, you're of your humanity, you know, and I think so many of us, I mean, I grew up Latino Catholic, for example, and I've seen people in some ways lose their humanity because they're denying themselves. And when at the end of the day, I mean, if you just realize that you are who you are and it doesn't make you a necessarily bad person if you like to fuck guys, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that's really, really awesome of you to have discovered that, especially when when was that like back in, like you said, the 80s, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. At that time, it was less socially acceptable than it is today, would you say?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I came out in the middle of AIDS. Mm-hmm. So you know, I came out here to to head up an ar- I'm an architect, so I came out here to head up an architectural firm. And <clears throat> that's when I kind of discovered that you know guys were my preference. Um, but from there, it just sort of was a you know a, a gradual, you know I just sort of eased into it. And like I said, I, I, it never felt wrong or awkward or, you know, inappropriate for me. So, you know, as as it happened, it just sort of happened organically.
0: Now, I'm curious to know if you have a working relationship still with your now ex-wife and and children?
1: It's it's bizarre, Brandon. We are still best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And some ways she's confided that while it was really hard for me to come to grips with you being a gay man um, It might be easier than if you'd left me for another woman because mm. <clears throat> then that means that I had failed you as a wife you know I was not woman enough for you but I could never have been woman enough for you because you're gay so in mm. some ways I mean it's certainly been hard but in some ways it might have been a little easier because you're you're gay so I didn't didn't lose you to another woman right so but she has since remarried Um, we all get together fairly often Um, A son and a daughter and you know I said four grandkids and it certainly we would not have been close had it not been for the kids and the grandkids you know Mm -hmm. obviously you know there's so many gay men who came out later in life that have ex-wives and kids Often the husbands and the the husbands and ex-wives are still friends and But it's I think the glue is the kids the kids and the grandkids. So had we never had children um, I probably you know because that goes back to you know 40 years ago 30 years ago We probably wouldn't know each other to this day, right, but what we discovered was that her personality type and my boyfriends personality type are identical.
0: Oh, how interesting.
1: Yeah. So I just had the gender wrong. But I did not have the personality type wrong. Because when we would get together, um, this was my first lover, Jeff, Jeff, and my ex wife would be in the kitchen. And they'd be, they'd be like answering each other's sentences, <laughs> which made me very uncomfortable. It's like, oh, wait a minute, they know way too much about me.
0: (laughs) You had a whole team up against you at that point. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. What happens when they all figure me out and I'm really screwed?
0: (laughs) Um, Wow. Okay, so I just, this is so interesting to me. I have so many questions regarding this topic. So you kind of mentioned this before, but at some point, did you ever consider yourself bisexual?
1: Um, I certainly, after I came out, and partnered, but, and I've always had an open relationship, and I know that's another debate we could have, but I've always had an open relationship. <clears throat> and I still played occasionally with women along the way. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually, I ran a group called OCLA, Orange Coast Leather Assembly, uh, and it was centered in Orange County, and it was a pansexual place for people to come to discover. Now, remember, this is, 1990 Mm -hmm. so back then the internet if you didn't just you know google how to tie up someone so back then you actually had to go somewhere to learn about it so I facilitated this group called OCLA in Orange County we'd meet once a month and we would get 60 70 people we were the largest group that the gay and lesbian Center had ever had they really didn't know what to do with us Um, And half of the people that would attend were either straight or or pansexual, you know, however they but by However, they define themselves, Mm -hmm. but we certainly never tried to make it about gay men
2: Mm.
1: So so along the way I came up with the idea of an event called sampler And sampler was going to be an event where people could get together for the weekend and explore their kinks so we put it in Palm Springs we took over a very small gay hotel, 12 to 18 rooms, uh, clothing optional, and people could buy a ticket for the weekend and we kept it reasonable. It was like 120 bucks. So for your 120 bucks, you got snacks and dinner on Saturday night, you know, time around the pool and you had um, personal one-on-one time with at least two experts in any of the fields that we could find presenters. And so we would often get, you know, at least 12 presenters. And they had to give 12 hours of their time between Friday night and Sunday at noon. Mm -hmm. And so people would sign up for, you know, uh, bondage, paddling, fisting, single tail, whatever we could find. And they had to be qualified people, well known, with good resumes. And they had to volunteer their time because there was no, um, no money that was given to them so they you know we gave them a room and food but it was and we tried to find local people because we couldn't pay for airplane Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: we and we did this for like five or six years and we would fill up we would completely fill up but the deal was it was not about sex so most of the time you were in a private space in that person's hotel room uh jeff and i did flogging most of the time and that was out in the in the common area but it was not about sex so You could be a woman who had a male sub and you wanted to learn how to play with his his cock and balls, how to do CBT with him. Hmm. Most women don't understand that because they don't have one. So this gave them an opportunity in private setting with a guy that really knows what they're doing to learn how to hurt their sub. So along the way, I ran across several subs, male subs. and their wives or partners couldn't hurt them because they were too small.
2: Mm, okay. So
1: I ended up flogging several of their partners. And I, I believe in intimacy and, and you know the spiritual journey and all of that. So it wasn't a mechanical thing. I tried to get inside that male sub's head, even though they were primarily you know heterosexually oriented. So what I would try and do is break them. I would try and tear them down through flogging and then I would try and have the wife or partner there to do the aftercare. Mm. But occasionally it would be flipped the other way around and I would have a male dom and a female sub. So I had to be able to find, I had to get in touch with whatever that, that sexuality is that the woman had to connect with them so they would trust me enough you know, to go to that place that we love to go when we play so uh, I got very comfortable playing with women. So it's never been um, you know, a big deal. I, I probably, because of COVID, none of us are playing with anybody, Right. but I don't think I have, um, I don't think I have played with a woman in probably a year and a half, but um, I've got a, a very good female friend and she's into spanking. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've done some really heavy spanking scenes and, and it's been sexual. Wow. So, um, you know, so I, some little tiny part of my compartmentalized brain, you know, still enjoys being with women.
0: How, how have you, how did you get so open? Uh, did you just come out of the womb like this, with this kind of perspective of openness and ability to, to be with other people like that? Or did this develop over
1: time? It, you know, I, I think it sort of developed over time when my ex-wife and I were married, um, you know, we had Playboy magazine around the house, mm-hmm. and there were certainly nude women and occasionally nude men, and neither my wife nor I, you know, would hide our sexual identity from our children. So our kids ended up being pretty okay with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing really, you know, gets to them. So it it it's, it it's just been sort of a process. But you know, even when I was doing porn. It's, you know the very first time I did a shoot. It's like okay, strip down, go. Yeah. It's like okay, you know it doesn't bother me. I can do that, sure.
0: <laughs> we'll circle back to your porn and and I, I did find your centerfold on Playgirl actually
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> on the internet. It's out there. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll put a some of those up on the patreon for for those who want to take a look but yeah so okay let's go back to your childhood I'm, I'm curious to know what your first sexual experience was like and if you remember it
1: i mean um i i don't know if it's my sexual experience uh, not physical but uh, i'll tell you about my mental sexual experiences okay um i you know i was i was born in the south raised by a very very strict parents. So it was yes, sir, no, sir. Um, and if I screwed up, he came after me with a belt. Um, which, I, which is fine, by the way. So I don't have any, you know, daddy issues. Uh, if I screwed up and then I deserved it, then I, got, I understood that. But I, I grew up back there. So I grew up in Louisiana. I never was sexually active. And we left Louisiana and moved to California when I was eight years old. I have a distinct memory of daydreaming about my island of men. I'm eight years old, remember, so I haven't (laughs) reached puberty. Wow. I had an island of men, and I would kidnap them, and I would take them to this island, and I would torture them. So we talk about, you know, is your kink developed or born or whatever. Like, I'm eight years old, and I'm capturing men and torturing them. So they said it wasn't a physical thing, and I, I wasn't beating off to it because I didn't understand, you know, I didn't reach puberty yet. Right. But that's what went through my brain. And I and that's, and that's it's clear enough, I didn't make this up. It was before we moved to California, so I couldn't have been more than eight years old.
0: Right. Well, it, it's so interesting you say that because I, I have a distinct memory, too, of dreaming about bottoming for guys in my karate class. <laughs> I used to take karate. And them actually fucking me from behind. And I had never seen that before. I had I didn't even know that was a thing. And I was still, like, you know, under 10 years old. And it's like, where mm-hmm. do you get that idea? And yeah. it's true. It comes down to, like, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Like, are you born with it? Is it developed? Like, Now, when you had your first physical experience, was that with uh, a guy or was it with a woman?
1: No, it was with a woman. Okay. You know, I, I, I had never had sex with a man, and my uh, ex-wife and I fooled around, but he said we were basically, you know, good Christian children,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so we would pet. There were lots of heavy petting, but we did not have sex, and I know Ken, nobody will believe this, until we were married. Wow. And I did not fool around on her when we were married. So, you know, the, the sex that we had was between mm-hmm. us, And it was just as time went on that I was having this longing to, you know, have something with muscles in the chest, you know, to hang on to. So it my first sexual experience, and for many, many years, we were married 17 years. Mm -hmm. So sex was with her.
0: At what point did you have a physical experience with another man?
1: Um, It was when I finally came out to California. Now, like I said, we were, we were separated at that point, and I had come out here to, you know, to work. And I ended up, um, I went, okay, now's the time, you know. Yeah. I, need, I need to actualize the fantasies, the longing that I've had. So I, I had heard about um, the Laguna, and Laguna Beach, you know, would be, have a gay bar. So I found myself in a gay bar in Laguna Beach. And, um, um, you know, a young guy picked me up. And so I went, okay, now or never, we're going to do it. And, again, it, it, it didn't feel awkward. It felt completely natural. It wasn't like insert A into B, you know. just like, <laughs> you no, know, just grab by the legs and go for it. So I guess I'd, you know, I primed myself my whole entire life so, you know, and that's when I, you know, I finally had to come out to my wife and I said, look, you know, I just, I'm, I'm gay and I need to fess up to it. And, you know, we need to, to end the marriage.
0: Wow. When you, when you had that sexual encounter with that guy, how did it feel different to you? I mean... Than having sex with a woman, like emotionally, spiritually, physically. I mean, what, what sparks went off where you were like, okay, this is what I've been missing this whole time?
1: Um, You know, that's interesting, Brad. Nobody's ever asked me that question, so I don't know that I've got a good answer. It felt right. It felt natural. but And this is a long time ago. But I don't remember the fireworks going off going, oh, this is incredibly better than me having sex with my wife. Mm-hmm. I just know that it felt more right. I see. So it didn't make the other feel wrong, and it didn't make this feel completely right. You know, it just like that was right, and this is more right.
0: I see. So you just felt at home, more at yeah. home in this kind of yeah. setting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now your kids. Do you have a good relationship with them? Were they upset that you were coming out as gay and leaving the house, or how? What was that dynamic like?
1: Well, I I had a, a, I don't know if if the people that listen to this are interested or not. I had a son and a daughter. The daughter, you know, worships their dad, so their dad can do no wrong. Mm -hmm. So at least outwardly, she accepted that. And Jeff was a very caring and loving person. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, adapt, she adapted to him. My son fought it. He didn't like the idea. He was angry with me. Um, you know, we'd already split up. They'd moved out here, but, um, you know, they lived about 20 miles south of where I live. And so I would go down there on the weekends and watch the kids, and I would try and get down there as often as I could. But, um, you know, I said, look, we need to go to counseling. We need to walk through this. So if those are issues are there, and he would have none of it.
2: Mm-hmm. He would.
1: He said, I don't want to be a part of it. And I, so he had a lot of anger,
2: yeah.
1: and that's many many years ago. And I think that we have a very good relationship today. You know, like I said I'm down at their house all the time. You know, they've got two kids, and I've never ever gotten any sense from my son. You know, about about me not wanting him not wanting to be around their kids. So uh, it took a long long time. But I think I think he finally came around and went. You know, it's my dad. He still loves me. You know, I I love him and, you know, Jeff is a pretty nice guy. So, you know, I think this is going to be okay.
0: Yeah. So I, I know you kind of mentioned, like, I'm not sure if your audience would be interested in hearing this. And honestly, I don't look at the statistics enough to know what my full range of audience is.
1: <laughs> but okay.
0: I am curious to know, I mean, for those who are listening to this podcast and hearing your story and maybe going through some of the same things with their family and the children coming out at, at late age, would you have any words of advice to those men?
1: Um, okay. So if there is some value to this, then maybe that would be the value rather than hearing a, you know, an old man's, you know, waxing about his life. Um, I'm I'm not the only person that's going to say this, but unconditional love, you have got to let your kids know that you love them, Mm -hmm. that it's shitty, and I'm sorry, and it may take a long time for you to understand this, but it's what's right for me, you know. I I tried it, but this is what's right for me, and if you want your old man to be happy, I hope someday that you'll be able to accept him Mm -hmm. and his partner, but the the end of the day, those kids have got to know they're loved. Mm-hmm. That, that, because a lot of kids go through the, you know, I'm the reason for this, or, you know, they feel that somehow or other when the parents break up that it's their fault. Right. So I think, because my kids were like, what were they, eight and 11 or nine and 11, right in that age. So when we broke up. So it was, you know, it's really, really important that those kids understood. Um, why this is happening, it had nothing to do with them, and you know, I'm gonna keep you in my life as much as I possibly can. And I have to compliment my ex-wife a lot because she said when I made that phone call saying, you know, this is what's going on, you know, she said, do you want us to stay in Texas or do you want us to move to California?
2: Hmm.
1: And I said, no, please, I want you to move to California. So, you know, we had a, a beautiful two-story custom-built brick house in Houston, Texas and we sold it and I bought her a condo in Southern California hmm So her lifestyle changed dramatically because she could have said, you know, fuck you and the horse you came in on You know, I'm gonna stick it to you. You're gonna owe me so much money in child support and alimony And I never want to you'll never see your children again. And that's not what happened. Yeah And yet I know that does happen to a lot of gay men so and so that's why you know, I I yeah, I say a prayer every night. I lead a very blessed life. You know what happened to me doesn't always happen.
2: Yeah. And
1: so I'm sitting here at you know 73 years old with you know a wife that's my friend and you know a, a wonderful boyfriend and kids and grandkids and I get to you know hurt men in my dungeon. As soon as COVID's cleared, uh, I've got it all. I mean, yeah. I've got it all. I, there's there's very very little. You know, if the end were to come tomorrow, I'd go, oh, if only I had, because I have, I've done it all. I've had a wonderful, amazing life. So, uh, you know, I congratulate my kids and my ex-wife and all of them for being there for me all through these, the, the times.
0: Yeah, that is so awesome. Like you said, like at the end of the day, as hard as it may have been to like come out, like there's no regrets. You're living your truth, as they say.
1: Yeah, exactly
0: let's kind of talk a little bit more about your leather journey. Um, I'm curious to know when was the first time you stepped into like a leather space or when did you discover kink for the first time?
1: We, we did country Western dancing a lot uh, in Houston, obviously. Right. And I was a very, very good country Western dancer. So when came to California, I discovered Floyd's in Long Beach, which is now gone, but it was a country Western, a gay country Western bar. So pretty soon I found myself there and I was like, how how could this possibly get any better? Mm-hmm. You know, these beautiful, attractive men in skin tight pro rodeo wranglers with their cowboy hats and their shirts off and they want to dance with me. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, this is incredible. So I met a guy and we began dating and so he said, I think there's something that you might want to learn more about. So he gave me my first leather vest and took me up to the one way up in Los Angeles, which is also now gone.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so again, it was like a duct of water. It's like, yep, this is where I belong. Wow. And, you know, there were even hotter men than the ones that Floyd's or at least as hot uh, and they were getting, you know, tied to the chain link fence in the middle of the bar and I went, oh, this is so me. So, um, you know, he is, he, <laughs> I could just see
0: eight year old, you going back to torturing men on that.
1: Island. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's full circle. It's full circle. I finally get to actualize what I had fantasized right. when I was eight years old. <laughs> so, so that's where it all began. That was the, the, my very first leather bar, my very first leather boyfriend. And it's like, wow. But it, it, and it, and it was, again, it was a very logical progression of, you know, discovering leather and discovering that that's where I belonged all along.
0: So your first piece of leather then was that vest that he gave to you? Correct. Wow. And do you still have that vest today? I do. Wow. I do. So, I mean, that has such a history to it. And we can talk, <laughs> I mean, we can talk all day, I'm sure, about old guard and new guard or whatever it is. And some people think that it may or may not even be, you know, real. That's just labels that we give to time periods in our, but um, it's, it does seem very traditional, I guess, to receive a piece of leather that is passed down to you from somebody else who is part of your journey. And I'm just curious to know about like the meaning that leather has to you because of that first experience.
1: Um, you know, it's interesting. And I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I I tend to get pretty spiritual. And I've done a lot of scenes where we all end up, you know, tearing up or or just actually sobbing. Mm -hmm. But, so it's a very powerful thing to me. And as I have grown, I love to keep my 30 inch waist, but it hasn't happened. (laughs) Um, And I'm a member of Avatar in Los Angeles and they've done these kinky swap meets. So I have more leather toys and clothing and I had I was into uniforms for a while, and it's like I don't fit into it anymore. And so I would sell it at the swap meet, and it gave me such enormous pleasure to pass on something that was mine to someone else. I you know I had a mirror cap, and it just didn't fit anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know I had another vest, and so there are pieces of my leather that I have been able to pass on to someone else and and each time I've done that I've looked him straight in the face and went you understand this didn't come from a store This came from me. I wore it. It has my energy and my spirit inside And it's now yours and you have to honor that you have to honor that You know don't ever do anything that is not right because that spirit lives in that piece of leather so it it I, I don't have to wear leather I mean I can you know put on jeans and a t-shirt and go to the dungeon and i'm fine so my connection to leather is through kink not the other way around Hmm. because you you meet people that are into leather but not kink Mm
2: -hmm. they want
1: to you know put on leather and go to the bar but they don't want you to tie them up and hurt them
2: Hmm.
1: and that's fine you know that's fine but i i have discovered that um if you want to swim with ducks you should look like a duck (laughs) so i have enjoyed leather it looks good on me but i discovered that if i you know look good in my leather it tends to attract the ducks that i want to meet so but that said like i said i don't i don't have to be in leather so my my connection to leather may not be as strong as some of the other men that you may meet or interview.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you talk about this internal spiritual leather that exists from within that you don't necessarily need the exterior. Um, And I just, I relate this to, I'm a violinist by profession um, and I teach students all the time. And one of the biggest lessons that I try to teach them is that music is not something that comes from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. It's being projected from within you. So we call ourselves musicians, whether or not we have a violin in our hands, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's very similar to kind of what you're saying. here. Is like, I could go to the dungeon. I'm still leather. I don't need necessarily my vest on or this or that on. Right. Um. But so going back to kind of passing down of leather, we actually had, and the reason you're, you know, really on this show is because you were actually recommended to me from Xavier who has your mirror cap and mm-hmm. yeah. s- spoke very fondly about how this meant something to him because it came from somebody who passed it down from the 80s and he actually wore that mirror cap in his drummer competition mm. and it's really interesting because you are you also hold the title of was it drummer 89
2: yeah
0: okay yeah. so i wonder if we can talk a little bit about your title journey your first Okay, let's go back a little bit. Your first title was in '88. Is that right? Right,
1: that yeah. was second runner-up IML.
0: I'm okay, okay. whoa. okay. So, so did you just go straight to IML then? You didn't have any bar title or anything? No,
1: I I won Floyd's, Mr. Floyd's leather. Ah, uh, okay, got it. So that sent me to Chicago. That title sent me to Chicago. Okay. So it was not a leather bar; it's a country western bar.
0: I see. It just kind of reminds me of like oil can Harry's you used to have a yeah, title. Yeah. Okay. What was that experience like for you? I mean, what, first of all, what got in your head about like, oh, maybe I should run for a title. Like you're one year in to Gatum, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, you have Gatem leatherdom, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden I've got a leather title representing a bar and I'm going off to Chicago right. to compete with. 70 men from all over the world and And so it was it was like holy fuck, you know, what have I done? Right because I was so green. I was Mm -hmm. so green, but luckily I I, For one reason or another I have attracted men that are very knowledgeable and that have guided me and mentored me along the way so Mm -hmm. once I won that title it seemed like the word got out, and I started meeting people in the leather community that knew their Shed, and they began mentoring me. So, you know, it was a crash course, but I had about nine months of mentorship before I made it to, you know, the stage in IML. So that, that, I didn't feel stupid, you know, mm-hmm. I made it through the interview, and I was intelligent, and, um, you know, I made it on stage, and, you know, I. Was in pretty damn good shape back then, so visually, uh, you know, I did fine in the jockstrap portion, um, and <laughs> lo and behold, I was second runner up. So, you know, I, I I I did okay. I was very proud of myself.
0: So, I'm curious to know then what what motivates someone one year into coming out as gay, coming out as you know leather. Um, what motivates someone that early on to be like I want to represent a whole title?
1: Um, and this may not be a popular answer, but it's got to be partially ego. Mm-hmm. I mean, why did I end up in Playgirl and the centerfold in Playgirl? You know, I, I'm very confident in who I am.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I very few people frighten me, um, you know, or, you know, <laughs> feel like they can't control me if I don't want them to. Uh, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. And it was the next thing that seemed to make sense. I was certainly encouraged by, you know, my mentors, but it seemed like, okay, yeah, I can do some good. And and I did take it seriously. And like I said, I mean, I'm 73, so that was a long fucking time ago. And I have continued to work in the community, you know, for free, giving talks, giving demos, doing whatever I can all these years. And there are so many men who, competed at Drummer or IML and they disappeared Uh they were there because they wanted to you know be a sash fucker and that's not why I did it I did it because I was confident and I thought this is the next logical part of my journey so it didn't frighten me you know it would be what it would be but as it turned out I've never shied away like I told you I was back on the East Coast a year and a half ago they flew me back on Friday. I taught Saturday all day, Sunday morning, and they put me on a plane and I flew home.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, I was, a, I was a zombie. I was so tired, but there were 20 guys that showed up and we, we did one-on-one for three different sessions. So, and I love it. And when you see that light bulb goes off in somebody's eyes and they went, oh my God, I just, he just got it.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: just got it. And that is so cool. And I've never gotten tired of that. I have never gotten tired of being the guy that flips the switch. Doesn't always work. But, boy, when you get one, it's like, okay, I just got another toaster. <laughs> you know, I got him.
0: Where did the toaster thing come from? I'll never I get I don't
1: that. know. I don't know, but everybody knows Oh, gosh. That.
0: Well, yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you bring up the kind of ego or narcissism or whatever you say because I've come to think that, I mean – At least this is just where I'm at. I used to think that pride, for example, and narcissism and ego were always negative. And I don't really necessarily think that's the case anymore because sometimes that can lead you down a productive path and it doesn't have to necessarily run who you are. I think that's where we get into it being a little bit toxic as if it is everything that you are is narcissism. But the fact that you took, you know, whether or not be minutely motivated by ego but this for you was just the next step in your journey. And because of that, it was so authentic. Look at where you are now so many years later. Like you're still in it and you're still making changes and you're still bringing people down the path of leather.
1: No, and, and what you said is exactly true. I, I have, like you said, I have an enormous ego. I try and keep it you know, under wraps as best I can. But that's the reason that it doesn't frighten me to do things but I try and not become narcissistic about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't see it when I look in the mirror, but I mean, I wouldn't have gotten into Playgirl if I wasn't a decent looking guy. You know, I know that that had something to do with where I placed at IML and drummer. So that has helped to open the doors. Mm-hmm. So I I've always taken care of myself because I know that's part of it. You know, you, you walk in and if, they shut the door you don't get anywhere but if you walk in and you're well-groomed and you present yourself and you look like who they think you should look like it will open the door
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so I, I agree completely you know you don't become narcissistic about this but but maintain a healthy ego be proud and comfortable about who you are and what you are and know that you are who you are and know that you know you can't take that away from me I know what I know Mm-hmm. So you can either come on the journey with me or not, but it's okay. And I'm going to go on my journey anyway.
0: Right, right, exactly. It's it's a balance, definitely. And I think you've managed that balance pretty pretty well over the years. Um, let's talk about 89, your Mr. Drummer, 1989. Uh, what was that journey like? And was that kind of something that just like fed into the drummer competition? Or did was that a separate competition that you decided, oh, let's run again, let's do it again?
1: Um, a, a lot of these people that mentored me, you know, they were teaching me all kinds of things, but they were not really teaching me political stuff. And I said, look, I'm not a political guy.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: historically, IML is more a political kind of a title. You know, you show up and you do amazing speeches and, you know, you move people with your, the power of your voice and, you know, your eloquent presentations. And I would move people because I'd tie them up and beat them up mm-hmm. and so they went you know I think you're better suited for drummer and that title was in San Francisco so they kind of started re-grooming me after IML they went look you did really well for you know this green guy that you know had just come on the scene so but we really think this is more where you should go so um, you know a year later I was competing at drummer in San Francisco and because it was more about your spirituality and how you feel about things than, you know, who were the last five IMLs, you know, it wasn't that kind of a thing. Um, I, I felt more comfortable. Um, and again, I, I'm going to boast a little bit here. Um, when you go in for the interview, you get up on a box.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're up, I don't know, six, eight inches in front of six or seven or eight judges or whatever. And so I, I had on, you know, skin tight, you know, 501s and tall leather boots and, uh, you know, a nice fitting T-shirt. And the interview began and one of the judges, they went, Brian, would it be okay? Would you mind taking your shirt off?
0: <laughs> At that I, point, you have them in the palm of your hand, Brian. I mean.
1: <laughs> thank you, Brandon. I, again, it was calculated on my part, but, I, you know, I played a win. So. Uh-huh. I, I knew that I was probably the best shape I've ever been in, in my life. I had a six-pack, and I wanted them to ask me to see it. Mm-hmm. So now, like I said, I'm going to get in trouble if I start sounding too boastful. But if, if you're going to play to win, you have to play to win. Yeah. So I did my homework. I knew who the judges were. You know, I I, I was comfortable and confident, and so <laughs> I had to wait for them to say, Would you please take your shirt off." I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
0: So it, it sounds to me like for you, the drummer competition maybe seemed a little bit more intimate for you, and rather than political and
1: right, it big. was appropriate. Okay, because like I said, there have been very. I did, you know, at um, I've done a couple of keynote speeches, and I anguish greatly over them because that's not my forte. But most of the time, when I have been invited to come somewhere. It's, you know, can you come somewhere and show us your technical expertise with, you know, kink and fetish. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I'm I'm certainly more comfortable. But like I said, I'm an intelligent guy. And when I was asked to be a keynote speaker, you know, I I anguished over it greatly. But I think I, you know, I presented a, a decent speech. I know I think I said what I needed to say. And I think I said what I thought the community needed to hear but i'm you know i have never professed to be you know guy baldwin who is so eloquent when he speaks it's like no that's that's not me I'm, I'm not that guy and i know that
0: well exactly you know who you are and you know your fortes and your strengths and and you play off of those which it seems you know has worked in your favor if there was one highlight for you in your competition days whether that be on or off stage what would that be and could you share that moment with us
1: mm. OK, you're asking to me to go back a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. So, you're, <laughs> you know, you're asking uh, a lot. I think the thing that I remember most, uh, there was a guy that named Wayne and Wayne became my sponsor. And so Wayne's leather rack was a leather court courtier. How you say that courtier of okay. fine leather in L.A. And so he said, I would like to provide you with your leather for this contest.
2: Hmm.
1: And I went, okay. Um, But Wayne took a different approach to leather and he did molded leather. So through a technique that I never quite understood, he would do a breastplate of my chest in leather. So it wasn't a vest, it was actually a breastplate molded of leather that was hard when he was done to wear. So he came up with a series of outfits that, um, that I wore, and it, they were all, uh, like one of them, it was a little, it was out there, but I had to kind of go for it. You know, one of them actually had lights in it. I was like, oh, God, Wayne, I just, this, this, not me. So he finally acquiesced on that one. And wow. the cocktail party at the meet and greet, he had come up with sort of a Chippendale outfit for me. So I had molded white leather cuffs, a collar, a white leather collar, and a bow tie, and um, codpiece and chaps, and so that was what I wore to the cocktail party. And again, (laughs) I felt this is kind of cheesy, you know. It's very 80s. It's very (laughs) 80s. You had to be there, okay?
0: Had to be there.
1: But. So like Wayne you came up with this I'll honor it and I'll wear it mm-hmm. so I, I think some of the strongest recollections were just wearing the crazy shit that Wayne came up for me to wear that was very non-traditional
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know it wasn't old guard leather vests and Sam brown belt and mirror cap and you know it, it was not that at all so you know and either you liked it or you didn't, but I stood out because there was nobody else dressed like me.
0: Right, right. I mean, there had to be, a, again, a little ego in there to be like, I could pull this off. If anybody else could pull it off, I could.
1: <laughs> and and that was it. I mean, we talk yeah. about ego. It's like, you know, when I mean, if you think I'm gonna look okay, I don't wanna look stupid, but if you think I'm gonna look okay, I'll wear it. And you right. just stick out your chest and head up and you just wear it. You know, I, a, a long time ago, this complete sidebar, but my daughter wanted to borrow my leather jacket to wear to sort of an 80s retro thing in high school. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, you're welcome to wear my jacket, but you need to understand the history of the jacket. It's not, you know, $29.95. This was, you know, a $400 jacket made for me. And I said, you need to understand what's gonna happen. You're gonna wear this to school. The kids are gonna see that it's not a $29.95 fake leather jacket. And you're gonna get questions yeah and you need to be prepared to answer those and if you can't hold your head up high and say it's my dad's leather jacket and he has loaned it to me then you shouldn't do it yeah so that I have really tried to impart that to my kids it's like you hold your head up high be confident so that that leather jacket you know she wore it to school and she said she did fine. Nobody gave her crap. So anyway, sidebar. I, I love that, though. It,
0: it just shows, though, like the whole, the, there's so much meaning behind leather, at least for your experience, it seems like your first piece of leather was handed down to you. You've continued to hand down leather to other people and in part, that same kind of mentality of like integrity, and respect and pridefulness of who you are behind it. And then imparted that to your children as well. So I think that's really awesome.
1: Yeah. Can I tell a a quick story here about that?
0: Absolutely.
1: All right. Um, Many years ago, I didn't have my own dungeon, which I now have at my house, Um, but I rented a warehouse space and it was about 12 or 1400 square feet. And it became my personal dungeon. And many, many men contributed things to my dungeon. Um, A giant sling, uh, a suspension bed, a bondage bed, a deprivation cell, um, and a cross, a mm-hmm. St. Andrew's cross. And the person that made the St. Andrew's cross said he went to the lumber yard and he spent many hours looking at the four by six pieces of lumber oh, wow. till he felt the pieces of wood that were appropriate for this cross. So that cross was made based on the, the energy that he felt that that wood had in it. So Finally, we had the dungeon for maybe seven years or so, and I just, it was too much money, I couldn't afford it. And one of the things we would do is we'd get together every once in a while and we'd do jo- strap wrestling. And it was mostly just rolling around, having a good time. Every once in a while, our testosterone would kick in and it would get a little more aggressive than it should. Mm-hmm. But I finally was shutting the dungeon down. So all of the pieces, the leather, not the leather, the, the dungeon pieces, had found a home, and the the dungeon space was now empty except for the wrestling mats, and we were gonna, one last time, we were gonna wrestle. And so, you know, it was a Saturday afternoon or whatever, and so we were wrestling around, and all of a sudden, I felt this incredible chill that, like, it just, it got so cold in this space. And I thought, oh, you know, you're, you know, is it, is it a stroke, what's going on, and I went, is anybody else just feel that and they went yeah we all felt and it didn't last but we all felt this incredible chill that went through the place Wow. and here's where I'm going to get a little woo-woo I really believe that because everything that's in there was either leather or used to be a tree so everything used to be living had life energy and I really believe that as things left for the most part that energy left with whatever that cross, the bondage bed, the sling, it all left with it. But I really firmly believe that something didn't get reattached before it left. And that was that energy that was running around the place trying to find out where it should have been attached and didn't get done.
0: Wow, that gives me chills, Brian, Isn't that crazy
1: it wow. really happened. I'm not making this up.
0: No, I mean, as really you're happened. saying it, I was literally getting chills. I mean, wow. That is insane. I mean, so
1: if if you believe that what we do has spirituality and life-changing abilities, that would be the one moment it's like, okay, this shit's real. Wow. Okay. Thank well, you for letting me tell my story.
0: Absolutely. So, Brian, I did want to ask you a little bit more about what you touched on earlier. Or I guess you could say sexual adult performing days? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying
1: I to say I never thought like... of myself as an adult performer, but I guess <laughs> yeah, I was.
0: I mean, okay, so you talked about pornography. Now, was this like explicit pornography or like BDSM pornography? Or what was that all about?
1: I was a model for a company called Zeus Studios, uh, located in LA, and they needed a, a competent dom mm-hmm. for... Because the only thing Zeus did was kink, bondage kind of stuff. Okay. Right. The, you know, all the other um, uh, studios were just doing, you know, vanilla fuck videos. And the stuff that Zeus focused on was all on BDSM King. So we met. Uh, Daddy Zeus ran the studios. We met. I connected really, really well with uh, his boyfriend at the time, Scott Anser. And um, it was obviously sexual tension between us and so he said would you be willing to do a video
2: huh.
1: and i went sure why not <laughs> so that was the first one so and again it really it, it he 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 needed me for my expertise and the bdsm stuff so it was not it, it never became it was sexual but it was never about sex and that was kind of how i figured i could in my my little pea brain how oh, I could justify this if it ever came out. is like, okay, you know, here's Brian fucking another guy. It's like, so it never became sex. It was sexual I see. So it was sensual um, or try to make it spiritual. But I figured if it ever, you know, because I was on the box cover of videos for almost 10 years. So I went, you know, if this ever happens, I can go look I'm kinky. It's my deal. There you go. But, you know, you can't, you can't take me to court because I was, you know, fucking some guy.
2: Right, right. So
1: um, so anyway, Michael and I got along famously. Um, he would find models um, that uh, were, you know, beautiful men. And I got to tie him up and hurt him. So I was, and he paid me.
0: <laughs> and he paid me. I love and that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I never told him. I'd have done it for free. Jesus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hopefully he's not listening and being damn it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, okay, so did you ever, I mean, did you ever hook up with these guys off camera after the fact?
1: You know, it's interesting. It, the whole thing was run very businesslike. Uh huh. So, you know, you showed up on time. He didn't want you coming for a week before the shoot. Um, most of the time, you know, the guys would jack off uh, as a part of it. But I never, ever hooked up with anybody. Um, we showed up we shot the video you know kisses goodbye the the closest that we came was um, I was doing wrestling with a bunch of guys in Long Beach and one of the guys that showed up was incredibly hot and yeah we hit the showers afterwards and I went you know you know we were kind of fooling around but that was as far as it went but I went have you ever thought about doing a video so I turned him on to zoo studios. Uh-huh. So he ended up doing some videos. He and I never did one together, but, um, you know, so there was a little fooling around, but it, it didn't ever happen on camera. One of the coolest things that ever happened because these were models, mm-hmm. they were paid and you know, so I never beat somebody up more than they could take. So I, you know, I made it, I pulled my punches. I made it look like it was certainly more intense than it was. But there was one that I did and they were models. And there was that moment in our video when I saw the light switch go on in his eyes. Wow. And I went, oh, wow, I just got him. So he'd been <laughs> acting up to that point And all of a sudden, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, it just, it happened. So. It, It was on tape. I mean, Michael, Betty Zeus, caught on tape this guy's transition from being a model to being a sub. And that was one of the most rewarding videos that that I ever did. Because for the most part, they were great guys. You know, we had a good time. Everybody got a check and we left. Yeah. But, and I think it probably only happened that one time, but it's like, wow, this is so cool.
0: That is incredible that you kept that a moment like that was captured on film. Yeah,
1: yeah, we actually got it. Um, The other one that was so interesting was we did um, uh, a series. or Michael, Daddy Zeus, did a thing called USM, uh, and he did one, two, and three. So I was in Mm USM three, and it was shot in San Francisco um, at the then owner of Drummer Magazine, and um, it was shot in his dungeon and it was there were two guys and and we 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 all connected intensely and there was lots of screaming and yelling that happened and it made it to production through editing and on the boxes and in the stores and somebody reported him for abuse wow. and he, he had to hire an attorney and go to court to defend it because they went you know you can't do this you can't hurt people and film it this is not okay and and Michael's going they're actors they're very good actors <laughs> you know Sylvester Stallone getting electrocuted on the you know on the mattress remember that I and mean, when we all got a heart on right yeah. and he's screaming and yelling he's acting he's saying these are actors that's all it was but it was evidently too intensely real So the settlement was they had to pull the video from from sales.
0: Now, I'm curious if you have any of these video. I mean, do you have copies of these videos in your
2: home?
1: Yeah, no, I'm I've got, you know, I've got a copy a VHS copy of every one of them. And then I believe I've got a DVD copy of all of them as well
0: wow you know this sounds so millennial of me i know but like it would be so cool to like uh have a virtual event where we do like a live viewing of one of these vintage bdsm porns that you were part
1: of um yeah i'll i am ship one to you you can if you can figure out how to play it at your end i'll loan it to you
0: if i can buy one on the internet i will but uh i I have a feeling that there are they still off the market because of that settlement
1: that one is not on the market but all the others are
0: oh I see okay um
1: zoo Studios is now owned by can-am and can-am does wrestling videos oh. and they probably have five or six different brands or genres you know muscle uniform heroes uh guys and girls together uh, so that's their deal okay. so he bought the catalog from zoo Studios so but I think if you were to Google You know Brian Dawson's studios. It would come up. You could probably find them, but but I've got them. I'll lend
0: you one. Cool. That that would be awesome. Yeah i i I kind of like jokingly, but not jokingly, say like I really feel like my past life I was a gay man in like the seventies or the eighties or something because Mm -hmm. I see like vintage porn or like vintage images and I just have this nostalgia. Like as if I was there, even though I know I wasn't there. Like I feel like I was there, and that uh, somehow I was a part of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's just so interesting. Like whenever whenever I see images or videos from the past, because it just kind of takes me to that place, you know.
1: I there there are a couple of you know Facebook groups that have you know vintage uh, bodybuilding on it, and I love going back and seeing the you know bodybuilders from the '60s and the '70s and uh what's it called athletic model guild AMG Mm -hmm. uh men I forget the photographer's name but he used to photograph really really well-built men in very scantily clad clothing but under physique photography Mm. is what it was called I see so those of us you know that used to jack off to well-built men that you couldn't buy you know a book but you could buy his his physique photography and that's how we got around it.
0: Right. Wow. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what was. It? Oh, your centerfold for Playgirl. <laughs> how? First of all, how the hell do you get on the centerfold of Playgirl in the first place?
1: Um, I worked out at a at a gym in North Hollywood called Vince's Gym, and Vince's oh, Gym. That's
0: where I live, but there's no Vince's Gym
2: here anymore.
1: Yeah, well, it, it used to be there, uh, <laughs> and it was, you know, just a, it was lit with incandescent lighting, a low ceiling, and it was just a muscle head gym. Mm-hmm. But um, I worked for an architect right down the street, so rather than fighting traffic, I'd go there to work out.
2: Hmm.
1: And, you know, one of the guys hit me up, and he went, you know, you want to be in Play Girl? I like, went, yeah, right. He goes, no. He said, I, let's do a photo shoot, see what I can do. So oh, wow. he did a photo shoot and submitted it to Playgirl. And they bought it. Oh,
0: so, so that I, does that is that still how it works today? Like people make submissions, and then it's approved or like not approved or bought yeah, or not bought? Right. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, um, and the, the, the ironic part of it was, um, they accepted me as the model and not him as the photographer.
2: Oh,
1: so he introduced me to Playboy, but he lost out and didn't get to actually photograph the shoot that was in the magazine.
0: Well, that's a bummer.
1: Yeah, I yeah, was not too happy about that.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, what's it like being on on that set? I mean, were you, were you just like naked in front of a whole crew of people? I mean, like, how does that work?
1: Well, it, it was interesting. It was a female photographer, huh. and it was only she and I. So okay. it was very, very intimate. Um, you know, very low key. It was shot in her loft in Venice, um, and so it was like you know, it was shot in her in her place. Mm-hmm. So it was very low key. There weren't you know you know lights and cameras and guys and all around. Um, so it, it, it you know again, it, it, it doesn't scare me to strip down and get naked, and uh, so it, it's it was comfortable. It didn't bother me at all.
0: Now, when I'm I'm looking at the photos right now, so I mean, it looks like you have a semi. Was it? I mean, I don't know if you're a shower or a grower. I, but
1: no, well, I'm no, I'm I'm a grower. And okay. they Playgirl did not want full erections. Okay. Because they were afraid that they would lose their female audience.
0: So how do how do you keep a semi through a series of photos?
1: What they, I I'd get hard, and then she'd shoot pictures as it went down and uh. then I'd get hard and she would shoot pictures so it was up to the editorial group at Playgirl, like how much can we get away with i see so they selected photos that were you know semi-flaccid partially hard and I went okay we can get away with this but not a raging boner
0: yeah it's so interesting how like <laughs> The, the fine lines of pornography, because I have a picture up on um, on one of my pa- like paid pages where I had a full erect penis. It was a very artistic photo. I mean, there was like the sun rays were hitting the lens so that it, it was just like very artistic. I don't know how to describe it, but I'm like looking out a window out into the city kind of thing. And um, here we go talking about narcissism again. But they took it down because they said it was pornography. And I was like, wait a second. I'm the only one in this photo. There's no ejaculatory fluid. But because of the fact that my penis was fully erect, they considered right. that pornography and not artistic nudity, which I thought was really interesting, that that decision, you know.
1: No, I, I think it's sad that, you know, we're still so puritanical about this stuff. Now, right. I understand, like, no... No, he's getting fucked in the ass. Okay, we know we can't post that. But the male nude, it, it's beautiful. Right. The male body and female bodies, they're beautiful. And part of that body is a penis.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but, you know, I've been bumped off of Facebook and put in jail three or four times now.
0: <laughs> I had to open a whole new Facebook because I couldn't get into my other one. <laughs> oh.
1: I posted a picture of a beautiful man, a black and white. He was hairy and mm-hmm. it was like a reclining nude except it stopped right at his waist. But it did not stop before there was the tiniest amount of crotch hair showing. Now, That's fucking what got hairy me already, right?
0: That's what got me. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: And so because there's just this tiniest bit of crotch hair, they kicked me off and that was my fourth offense, so I was taken off for a month. Wow. Wow. Like, really? Come on. There are guys that post full on butt shots. Yeah. And that's okay.
0: That's what I'm saying. And uh, I mean, we can go on this whole thing. But like, my thing is it's like, it's not my fault that I have a heart on like most of the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) God bless you, by the way.
0: (laughs) Like I walk around the house and I'm like, what the hell? Why?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. It's like a a gentle wind will give you an
0: erection. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm curious to know some more of your perspective a little bit on old guard and new guard. And um, I just have a few questions about that. Okay. As far as honorifics go, can we talk a little bit about how you like to be referred to in honorifics when you're in a scene with somebody? And are those honorifics earned? Are they assumed? What is the dynamic with that?
1: My assumption is that you'll refer to me as sir mm mm-hmm. uh, I'll accept boss or sir um, I think master is an earned title so if people say master Dawson it throws me it's like I'm not your master
2: hmm
1: you know I believe that that I've earned the respect of sir and you know I'll be on recon and you know somebody will go hey dude how are you <laughs> It's like we're not right. gonna go any farther because you don't get it.
0: Right, right. You know,
1: and and yet there are some younger men, you know, you know, sir, I've looked at your profile and I find it very impactful, and I just want to let you know how much impressed I was, sir. You know, and serves in all caps. Like, okay, you get it. You get it. So, and it's again, it's it's not that I'm better than you, it's just that's the way I am in this scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we we both have energy. Mine just happens to be that of a dom and just happens to be that of the sub. That doesn't make you less than me at all. It just means we have a good chance of having a good time.
0: So for for you, the assumption of sir is really like, recognize my place in the scene. I'll recognize your place in the scene and let's respect each other by referring to each other with those honorifics.
1: Yes. Yeah, because what's the word I want? We're, we're going to a place that's fantas- full mm-hmm. We're going to a place that we... You know, you can't go to Carl's Jr. and do this. So we're going to go someplace that we hope will be magical and dark and scary. And so it helps us if we use terms that get us there. Mm-hmm. So words like sir or boss or master, if it's appropriate, help you get there. And while the guy's name may be John Smith, I never refer to him as John. It's boy. You're depending on... I, because you, you know, you have to know where the, the hot buttons are, right? Right. So certainly my hot button is sir. So if we're in a scene and you go, Brian, that doesn't feel very good. You've well, been if taken I had an erection, it's gone.
0: Yeah, you've been taken out of that scene now.
1: I'm out of a scene, right. Yeah, we, we now could be at Carl's Jr. Because you just <laughs> ruined it.
0: <laughs> What's up with you at Carl Jr.? Okay.
1: Yet, I just, I just, <laughs> yeah, I should have said something else. I should you know, shouldn't say Carl Jr. shouldn't say Chick-fil-A. But with yeah. Del Taco, we could dinner Del Taco. <laughs> I'm just saying so, something. So, uh,
0: have you ever had an instance where somebody, like, out in public called you master and you had to correct them? No. Okay.
1: No. Um, you know, my my boyfriend says, sir, because that's what he's supposed to do. So, you know, we were working in the yard, in the front yard this weekend, and I hired a neighborhood kid to come over who's, I don't know, probably 18 or 18 to help us dig because we're both 73 and we need some muscle. So this kid's out there helping us dig up the front yard. And so he go, sir, can you do this? Or sir, what should I? And so he refers to me, sir, friend, this kid. So, I, I, you know, we're both comfortable enough that that seems okay. Um, it, it would throw me if he would have said Brian, you know, but I also would have understood that it was his lack of comfort that he used that term.
0: Oh, so your the honorifics, at least with your partner or partners, they go beyond just being in like a play scene then. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, it's, it's the real deal. Got it. It's okay. the real deal. So, you know, and I, cause I, I have an open relationship and I do play with, not since COVID, but you know, I would play with other men and either you follow the protocol or we're not going to get together. Mm -hmm. because you showed up because you have heard about me trust me or believe that I will be able to take you somewhere so part of that is getting in that headspace you know I'm gonna get in your head so you have to open that door and let me in so you know we go through all those keys right?
2: right On
1: your knees hands behind your back head bowed Strip down get back on your knees always refer to me as sir, each one of those chip away at John. Mm -hmm. So each one of those, they become more and more vulnerable and accessible to whatever fetish, you know, fanciful place we may go. Right, right. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious to know. I mean, over the years, have you noticed any shift in opinion or perspective on how honorifics are exchanged and how they're earned? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're at a leather space and you say, oh, I'm sir, and someone says, oh, I'm not going to call you sir. I don't know who you are.
1: Um, yes, we were at Folsom a few years ago and we were at the Eagle uh, for Sunday Beer Bust. And, you know, we're all horned up and drinking beer. Um, and there was a guy, and he kept, you know, smiling and looking at me. So it wasn't too long before, you know, I'm sitting there playing with his nipples. And, you know, we're kissing and tongues out and, you know, going hot and heavy in the bar. And uh, he said something, and I said, I prefer to be referred to as sir. He goes, I don't know you that well. Hmm. And it took me aback. And it's like, well, wait a minute. That's, that's, you're gonna call me sir. And he goes, I'll call you mister. But he said, I don't know who you are and so I can't call you sir. Hmm. And I had to admit he was right. You know, Brian's little ego bubble just got burst because here's a guy that I assumed was gonna, you know, get on his knees and suck my dick, call me sir. Uh, and none of that happened. We had a great time, but he said, I can call you mister. And I went, wow, and that was a revelation. Yeah. You know, in, in my little perfect world, everybody says, sir, here's a guy that, <laughs> he, he straightened me out. Right, wow. You know, and, and so he was right, it's like, okay, I, I get it, you called me on it.
0: And how long ago was that? that two I mean, years
1: ago, it was It was a Folsom. two years ago.
0: So did, did that change how you approach, I mean, public situations like that? Or, or was that kind of like a one-off thing that you were just like, wow?
1: it was it was one off I still Mm -hmm. prefer sir but it made me realize that my right to expect it is not really there I see you know you you would hope that it's going to happen and it nine times out of ten does but there are you know and the use of the word old guard and I've been told that that's a a dead term and nobody uses it anymore but I'm old enough that I still feel like old guard Mm -hmm. um You know, and there there are my contemporaries who go, you know, that's all, so last year, we don't use that term anymore. (laughs) Um, But I still think it helps us to define who we are. Uh Things like sir and boy or slave or master or, you know, pup or handler. Those terms help us to define. And that's part of the reason that we can connect with people so quickly, whereas in the vanilla gay world it's like you have to go to you know and have coffee five times before you can start figuring out who you are right you know we signal i'm showing up at the bar with a red hanky in my back pocket it's go. oh that guy's into fisting right i've got my keys hanging on my left side oh that guy's a dom
2: yeah you know
1: his keys are on the right side you know he's wearing a a, a leather cord around his neck he's not collared, but he's signaling that that might be something he'd be open to So, we as a community are pretty good about wearing our heart on our sleeve, Mm -hmm. and I think that's helpful. That gets us to, you know, home base pretty quick. So, you know, I don't want to have coffee with you five times only to find out you're not into fisting. Right. Right? So, I'm just going to wear a red hanky, and oh my God, he's got a red hanky on the other side. Bingo, we're a match. You know, and, and you're Jewish and I'm Christian. That's not important. we can get dispensed with all that stuff because our interest our common sexual interest is fisting or whatever and and we can connect with that so i think some of that and i'm going to call it old guard is valuable Mm -hmm. and there will be those that disagree with me it's like no i'm i'm wearing plaid shorts and tennis shoes but i'm just as kinky as the next guy right but i'm not getting what i need from you For that to work
0: so i i mean i we can talk about flagging because i I got into a discussion with this for with several people and i've gotten mixed opinions i personally enjoy flagging because i'm also an exhibitionist and i feel like in some ways that exhibits like how kinky and dirty i am like you see a yellow hanky in my back pocket then you know that i'm into water sports and i think Mm -hmm. it's really fun to flaunt that and it also like you said kind of allows me to wear my heart on my sleeve but other people will say well just because you know they have yellow on or red on doesn't necessarily mean they're into that um kink and they're just wearing that color out that night so uh like always have that discussion first which i i agree with like okay whether or not you're flagging have discussion first but what has what the shift been like that when it comes to, like, flagging and wearing your heart on your sleeve kind of thing? And do you miss anything from the quote-unquote old guard days? What sort of contrast do you see
2: there?
1: Um, the short answer is yes, I miss it. The longer answer is um, I'm going with the flow,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? I, I, you know, I'm partnered, partner, so I don't go out so often, but occasionally it's still fun to go out and do a Sunday beer bust. You know, and you, you kind of get wild and crazy if you had a couple of beers with a couple of guys that are hot and everybody has a great time. So I still enjoy all of that. Um, but I have softened as the years have gone by. Um, you know, my requirements for, you know, a guy showing up at the dungeon instead of, yeah, you know, I want you to wear, you know, leather boots and I want you to wear a harness and a vest and a leather belt and a blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, I don't have, I'm sorry, sir, I don't have any of that then wear a jock mm-hmm. well i don't have a jock then fucking buy one <laughs> right yeah you want to yeah. show up my dungeon go buy a 5.98 jock and mm-hmm. big five and come meet me so i'm still i'm going to still set some kind of parameters if, if you know okay you don't have a leather jock you don't have a vest in the old days i would have said no 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 go earn it and come back and see me mm-hmm. so you know I've, I've grown kind of soft on some of that it's like okay fine you can find a big five and you can buy a jock.
2: Right.
1: jocks turn me on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And, and I get into tennis shoes. So, you know, wear some cool tennis shoes and a jock. And, and I can find common ground with that. I can get into that. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I've, I've got a lot of fetishes. I mean, we go on all day long with my fetishes.
0: Well, uh, let's go into a little bit of fetishes. But before we go, are, is there anything else about the time that you came into the leather scene versus today that you miss or, or maybe wish have stuck around? And where do you see the direction of leather going?
1: And, uh, you know, you ask, ask Guy Baldwin this question. Ask Grace Bannon this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to go where it needs to go. Okay. I think that you know, who knows what's gonna happen after COVID. I mean, the world is gonna change, right? It's not gonna be what it was. But I can still walk into a bar in, you know, tall black boots, tight jeans, a leather vest, and I can still get what I need out of it. I'm comfortable, and yet, and you don't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time when, you know, it was the dress code, and we're not gonna let you into the bar if you don't have a piece of leather on. Those days are gone. And that's probably okay, but I still get guys that hit me up on recon, and they go, you know, I, I miss the teachings. I want to find a strict dom. And this guy's 26 years old. It's like, you realize I'm 73. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got grandkids your age. And, but that's what they're looking for. They want someone to guide them that's knowledgeable. They've been there, done that, that's safe, but that they get it. They, you know, they don't want to play with another 26 year old guy who probably doesn't even understand how to do a square knot, you know, doesn't keep surgical scissors on hand, doesn't understand safe words, doesn't have his cell phone standing by for when you've got to call 911. You know, they feel comfortable and safe with a a guy that's been around the block. So, yeah, I miss that, but it's okay. You know, it's going to go where it needs to go.
0: Do you foresee a possible... I mean, we always talk about this sort of pendulum kind of thing, and we see it with lots of different things in our society, and I wonder if you see that kind of swinging back in future generations a little bit.
1: I I can say I hope. Mm-hmm. I hope, Brandon, that it swings back. But And you're right. I mean, I don't know if bell-bottom pants are ever going to come back.
0: Oh, but, please, you know. no no bell-bottom pants. All right, pants.
1: <laughs> All right so, so some pendulum it's okay if they don't swing back right 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 but <laughs> um, you know men wearing tight four inch uh, seven inch inseam shorts has come back around mm-hmm. um, and thank God for that so some <laughs> things do come around so yeah. it may happen I, I hope I live long enough to see it happen but um, you know I, I don't know like I said I've, I've I've gotten old and I'm you know I get to be pretty easygoing about most of this stuff I'm gonna hold the line on a couple things but it's I'd love to see it come back I'd love to see guys wearing more leather um, or more fetish gear let's call it fetish gear because okay. you can show up at the bar in a, a really hot wrestling singlet and wrestling shoes that'll give me a boner every time yeah so y- you don't have to be in leather just be kinky just be a twisted fucker know what turns you on be proud of it and, and go out in it that's that's what's important
0: Now, if you had any uh, word of advice for future generations of people coming into the scene, what would those words
1: be? Um, I think it's confidence.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right? It's like I told my daughter, be confident in who you are, you're going to meet people that are going to try and tear you down or say that you're wrong, or you're gonna go to hell. But I mean, the reason I've never been in therapy is I know who I am.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I know that I'm a good guy. Right? I, I know that what I do is consensual if you were to be a you know a fly on the wall it would be horrific to see what happens uh, there's a reason that my dungeon is very soundproof but I think that you just got to know who you are and go for it you know be confident and it, you, if you're not a leather man then don't feel like you got to go by leather
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: ducks will attract ducks if you're into wrestling then wear wrestling gear if you're into cigars bring a nice you know 770 cigar stand on the outside of the patio and light up that cigar you watch how fast men of like mind will come around you
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know we, we want to be with our own kind so the guys that are really into leather will continue to buy leather you know mr. s is never going to go out of business so you know they will find leather you know it's expensive but men will, will find what what their needs are and do the best they can to have them met
0: absolutely absolutely well it seems like it sort of just comes back to just living your truth as you did
1: whatever that is Mm -hmm. and know that it's okay now no no you can't be a serial killer that's not okay
0: (laughs) yeah that's not living your truth (laughs)
1: no that's not and it's certainly not living a you know a spiritual lifestyle
0: right right
1: but know who you are and be okay with that what you did with that other man or woman is consensual and that they will come out the other side of that dark journey buzzing and enriched and changed and you get to know that you're the guy that made that happen. I mean that's incredible be it bottom or top, right, because I've played with, with bottoms that have changed me. That the, Their spirit was so strong in our scene that I began to cry mm-hmm. because of what they did to me so don't think it's all about you know being mr. top it's just about sharing that energy and going you know don't be afraid to go there Like I said, you just have to understand that you need to be in a safe place don't you know because I've had guys that get so incredibly high that they shouldn't be driving mm-hmm. right the endorphins are like bouncing off the wall it's like No, we're going to have water, and we're going to sit here, and I'm going to hold you for a while. And when I feel like that glassy eye has passed, then I'm going to let you go. But this is powerful shit. Mm -hmm. What we do with each other is powerful.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, before we go, Brian, are there any organizations or things that you're a part of pre or after COVID you see that you want to make us knowledgeable about?
1: Um, Well, I said, I'm still a member of Avatar. I don't show up to every meeting. They've, they're on hiatus. You know, they're trying to do Zoom, you know, virtual meetings. Next Sunday, I'm meeting uh, a think tank group out in the the desert. Uh, my boyfriend lives out there, so we'd go back and forth between houses. But they they're putting a group of guys together, and they want to try and figure out where PSLOD is going to go. That you know, it's on hiatus as well. But when this is over, how do they need to rebrand? How do they need to get out and get new people into their organization mm-hmm. so they asked me if I'd sit in for the afternoon Sunday afternoon you know socially distanced and brainstorm what what do we need to do to keep bringing people into the fold yeah. so you know so I feel honored that you know I get to be a part of that and, and hear what's going on but um, you know it's, there are there are organizations all over the United States but I don't think anybody's doing anything right now Right. So, you know, do your research and you'll find out. Talk to a friend, talk to somebody you trust, you know, just like, you know, don't go playing with Brian until you find out if he's a safe guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you'd be crazy to show up at that dungeon door and be like, I don't know anything about him, I hope he doesn't kill me. But, so do the same thing about organizations, you know, gay, straight, bi, hat, pan, whatever it is. Do your research and they will come back. We need each other. We need a social outlet, we need to be able to get together, you know, as as a group and share our king. So it's going to come back. So, you know, give it time, wear a mask, get your vaccines. And when this is over, those groups are going to reemerge. So go out there and join them because you're never, ever going to learn this on the Internet. Yeah, there's a YouTube video on how to do scrotal inflation. I know that, but you're never going to understand it until you've done it. Mm -hmm. So, I I really, you know, we need to continue to teach each other one-on-one because that's how we're going to pass this on. You know, yeah, you can watch the the YouTube video, but it's not the same until you actually experience it. That's when you're going to learn what this is about. So, find that group that you're comfortable with when this is all over and go and join it. Be a part of it.
0: Absolutely. Well, how can we stay connected with you, Brian, and how can we reach out?
1: Um, i'm i'm on i'm on facebook it's it's my real name brian dawson i have become very very selective on who i become friends with mm-hmm. you know you, we better have at least 20 30 40 people in common or i'm not going to accept your friendship Got it. you know that you know it, it's a name i can't pronounce from botswana and, and you want to be my friend i'm probably not going to accept that mm-hmm. but yeah i'm on facebook you can find me brian dawson
0: awesome and brian before we go do you have any last words you'd like to share with our audience
1: um no we've we've been at this for a good long time so um i would like to thank your audience for actually even though you're going to edit this down for (laughs) them actually spending the time to listen to the whole damn thing (laughs) so so hopefully they find it enlightening enough that they'll not hit the stop button until they get to the end so um thank you brandon for for giving a, a great chronology and you know, feeding me great questions and putting it all together. So I, I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. And before we go, you guys, don't forget to check out the many outreach programs we have available to us here in the Los Angeles area. The LELC Cares and Bullet Bar Pantry are all ways that you can get assistance during these trying times of COVID-19. I will, of course, have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Branded Bullet LA. Don't forget to re-and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky.